Hello and welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Today we're doing part two of Comfort Food. I'll be talking to my brother, Christian Lewis, about those albums that may not necessarily be the greatest of all time, but they're the ones you always go back to. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, rate and review us on iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook for more info. Now let's talk comfort food. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, today, in honor of the holidays, we are doing uh, a two-part episode called Comfort Food. Um, one I'm doing with uh, Christian, and the other I'm doing with Jeremy. But basically, what we've done is we pulled together those albums that we never tire of, that are our default records when we uh, are burned out from a trip and flying home or need something for a road trip and can't decide uh, what to listen to or or just kind of, uh, uh, you know, aren't really in the mood to test ourselves or or really push uh, new material on ourselves. Uh, In my case, as I know in Christians, um, you know, I I write uh, for a living and these are the albums that I know so well that I can listen to on my headphones while I'm writing and, and, you know, three quarters of the time, I don't remember that I'm, I've got music on. Um, and that's kind of a distinction. Um, I, uh, I decided uh, we're going to break this up into two sections um, because I was doing one with each brother. And this, this is going to be my list of albums that are, uh, I consider comfort food that were released during Christian's lifetime. So post-1988. Uh, and to, to that end, um, I will, uh, and Christian's got his, his, uh, lifetime, much shorter lifetime of, of records that, uh, he falls back on. And I'm actually going to throw it to you to, to sort of, um, start this one off. Um, what are your, what are the first few that you have? And, and did you do this chronologically? I can't remember. No, I didn't really uh, manage to pull it together chronologically. I mean, I sort of started out by breaking it into into decades to sort of think, you know, to work through like the big genres and stuff. So, um, and and partly I think that sort of uh, covered the arc of of music that I was listening to. So stuff like um, you know the first classic rock albums that I got, so things like Zeppelin II, um, you know, and I thought, well, do I really go back to that as much as I uh, as much as I think I do? And the answer is. You know, probably not. Um, and so really it became uh, became a question of, all right, well, where do I really listen to music and where do I really just throw on full albums all the time? And so the first thing that got me was totally um, was, you know, was really like in my car. So this is back from college for uh, for summer or, or spring breaks or something like that. Um, and I think to that point, I'll start out with, uh, with a Hold Steady second album, Separation Sunday. Um, now, this is like... First of all, I, it's fun because I've, I've, I feel like in the last year or two years, we've actually we've seen Craig Finn a ton, um, and actually you know, we haven't almost. He's sort of like intentionally. <laughs> yeah, he's sort of the Julianne Moore of, of indie <laughs> rock. You, you know, like wow, I, I didn't think he, I didn't know he was in this. Uh, he seems to show up on stage every time I go to see a show at this point, which is a welcome 
uh, welcome, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. addition to any show. Well, so I think the last two that, that we saw him at uh, were, you know, we saw him show up for Titus Andronicus, um, which was which was great. Uh, and then I think the one, oh, and then after that, actually, we saw him show up when we saw Beach Slang, uh, Beach Slang play, um, mm-hmm. uh, play The Replacements, um, which was an awesome show. And, you know, he came out, for, I guess, I guess missed no opportunity to uh, to show up and, and show your love for um, for Minnesota uh, Minnesota rock, but, um, yeah, Separation Sunday to me is like, I mean, all of these albums, basically, the guy's got something to say, right, you know, and it's, it's a little wordy, um, at times, but, uh, he's just this incredible storyteller, and you get so sucked into the characters, um, who recur through the album, and you start to, you know, you, you really feel like by the end of this thing, you know them, um, you know them personally, so it's, it's like, it's sort of the Garrison Keeler of indie rock, um, in that respect. <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny. I, I think of you know, I think of people who have that, um, you know, that uh, sort of uh, description thrown on them, you know, as a storyteller. And I think you know a lot of people think of Bruce Springsteen as a storyteller or Dylan as a storyteller. And you know, the, they seem to have one-offs, and there seem to be a lot of you know, Gene and Mary, and you know, but uh, Craig Finn. I feel like you know these are whole full-on blown short stories that. Uh, um, are set to music rather than songs that in, that encapsulate uh, stories. Yeah, and it's, I mean, first of all, I think it's a damn difficult thing to do in any context, but for somebody to do it that consistently and that well, um, you know, he's, he's somebody uh, who I, I really, ha- I have to think, if he couldn't, like, if he didn't have a musical ear, the guy, I mean, yeah. he'd be he'd be Jonathan Lethem, or you know, um, like he'd be writing, no. you know, he'd be writing six hundred page novels. Like, I think he does have a master's in uh, in uh, creative writing. Yeah, well, um, and some of his song lyrics, of course, are six hundred page novels. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I also think, you know, I'm 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 also itching. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, and I think Craig Finn's something of a contemporary of mine. Um, I would love to hear. Uh, Craig Finn write the an album about forty year olds uh, or fifty year olds. Uh, he's you know sort of continuing as opposed to seventeen year olds who are getting high by the riverbank all the time. Believe me, he uh, he understands them. So yeah, you know, more power to him. But uh, I'd love to hear what happens to all those people. Yeah, no, I'm with anyway. you. The sort of the purity equivalent of the friends like Jonathan Franzen's book, purity, you know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and next on your list is? Uh, next on my list, a um, little bit, well, let's say a lot less story and lyrics driven, um, but just really awesome, raw blues that I, you know, that is just incredibly earthy, and that's Thick Freakness by the Black Keys. This is this is one of the, oh, yeah. um, this is one of the albums that I remember, one of the first albums sort of that was by a cool band and by a, you know, I guess modern band or one that you hadn't introduced me to from you know the 80s or 90s um, and that wasn't sort of classic rock uh, of course they have that sound for sure but um, but I remember discovering them on my own and so I think there was there was definitely like a sentimental value to that but anytime mm-hmm. I just want like raw ripping you know bluesy guitar riffs um, I mean just absolute like balls to the wall rock and roll what I feel like maybe Jer- for Jeremy might be something like ACDC, you ACDC. know? Yeah, exactly. It's just like, it is the mindless, like I need, I need rock song. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I think it, I think it falls into that, you know, I mean, again, I, I always bring it back to, you know, writing or working. 
Um, but there's other things where you just, you know, I mean, there's, there's time when you want, there are records you put on cause you want time to dissolve rather than living in the moment you yeah. want to sort of. And I feel like that's one of those albums that you'd throw on, yeah. um, to make time go away. So by the time the album's over, you're, you've gone from, you know, Washington to Fredericksburg or whatever the hell yeah, it is. Exactly. Well, uh, yeah. you, you know, whatever your next milestone is. Well, I remember the, um, one of the things that always like that always gets me about that album, and particularly when I am on long trips, it's funny you say that, is that I will play it, uh, I'll throw it on in the car and realize that I'm actually um, 1.75 times through the album before I notice that I've, uh, that it's actually that, that been it's on loop. Yeah, exactly. That, I, that, that actually really sums up the comfort food albums. And again, I, I, you know, I think we're making this distinction, but you know, these aren't the albums that I count as the, you know, the sort of foundations of my, uh, musical canon or, you know, do I think are the greatest albums of all time. They are simply the ones that have such a place in my yeah in my a, in my life. It's the security I blanket. Listen to them. Yeah, I listen to them all the time. And and I was saying that uh, before, um, you know, there's certain albums that have been driven from my life that have been, you know, some of my favorite albums of all time. But by virtue of somebody overplaying them, um, whether that's you know in, in the case of Nirvana or something, uh, the world, or in case of Surfer Rosa potentially a roommate um yeah. you know there's some times when you know an album just doesn't sound the same after a while and these are the ones that stick with me to this day that um uh and i i find myself uh, you know uh it's funny because i i um uh delineated these and the uh, in two parts again uh for your benefit the ones that were put out while you were alive and the ones that weren't which jeremy's gonna get um but uh you know, I, I, I see a, a fairly uh, significant uh, percentage of the ones that I listen to that have been released since uh, in your lifetime uh, as being British, uh, which is strange. Hmm. I wouldn't think that. Well, so but, so uh, let's let's kick off. What's your what's the first one you the want? First, to toss well, there? I'll give you the first first three. I'll toss All out right. there. Uh, Stone Roses debut album. Um, Barely within my, would, the window of my lifetime ago. Exactly. I didn't say it was well. I didn't say <laughs> that you were old when it came out. You were a rocking one-year-old, I think. Yeah. Um, I was in England a lot at the time when this came out. It was ubiquitous in the way that Nirvana Nevermind was, you know, a year after Nirvana uh, put that out. Uh, in England, Stone Roses were massive, and they were, a, you know, sort of cultural... Uh, juggernaut and I so I wound up listening to that album a lot coming home and not having um, that uh, very decided problem that we were talking about of having it be overplayed I was kind of the only one listening to it um, I mean, it had some. Did you, Go ahead. Uh, Wyndham, did you, um, was this the break when you were over in, in England sort of on a extended spring break furlough? Yeah, I, I sort of released myself on my own recognizance from college. Ah. I went over for a week. Um, again, our father, our, most of our family, uh, is British. So I went over for a week for our uncle's, uh, the 20th anniversary of my uncle's, our uncle's company. And I was having a lot of fun. And this album came out, and there was a lot of parties. 
And so I didn't go back for six weeks. Now, um, now this would be a, a wonderful time, I think, to get you on the record, uh, particularly in the spirit of, of family and um, and uh, the things we do for our relatives. Um, you were thankful for having a brand new little brother, I think, at that point. Um, perhaps you'd like to tell the world why. I went back to college after um, six weeks, five or six weeks in England. Um, and I realized that I had missed, I went to a big college, so they didn't really miss you so much as, um, they had a record of you not being there by virtue of the number of quizzes and tests you'd missed. And so I made up a very long, elaborate story that I was having to drive to Washington, D.C. every week to take care of my, uh, recently, my newborn brother, um, because if... His mother found out that our father was living in England. Um, he, uh, he he would lose custody, and so I <laughs> none of which is actually true, by the way. I think it's probably it important to add. Yeah, yeah, and the te- and the professor was very nice. And in fact, um, when I told her the story, uh, she gave me a hug and she cried. <laughs> and I feel <laughs> I feel really bad about that, but I feel like that was more. I I, I kind of feel like that was more. Um, uh, more a more important uh, lesson than most of the things I learned in college. So the, so so. the soundtrack to this epic lie was uh, was Stone Roses. <laughs> a lot of it was, yeah. yeah. I mean, there was a, there's a few albums, and some of them are from the pre the other list that I won't spoil. But yeah, Stone Roses, and then my next two are you know I skip ahead a few years, uh, different class by Pulp. Yeah, um, which I will listen to start to finish over and over again. I mean, people love Common People. But it, it fell into that period of my life when I was listening to albums all the time. I mean, you had CD players. Um, and uh, I still think, start to finish, it's one, of the, it's one of my favorite albums from a writer's perspective and from a lyricist's perspective. I think Jarvis Cocker is a man who can injure very deeply with a pen. So, yeah. um, different class. Uh, and not, you know, musically kind of a uh, weird outlier of an album because it's not you know the, there's not a lot of consistency in the music and also you know the, if you if you play just the the musical tracks it would be kind of a cheesy record but you know it, it's um, interesting though I think the two um, for for a lot of for a lot of folks particularly in sort of you know rock criticism and and it, it, American rock criticism in particular and and like the indie rock world I think kind of you know have a soft spot maybe for um, a couple of Oasis records but but really like when they when it comes down to it the the favorites though are Pulp and Blur um, and you know I think that the defining feature of both of those guys or both of those bands have to be like. They actually have a sense of humor. Uh, there it's was a literacy so, in the humor. Yeah, there was so much self seriousness in Britpop at that point, right? Uh, yeah, there was and there wasn't. I mean, my third album on here is another one that kind of takes the piss pretty well, which is uh, and they were they were sort of the brats of Britpop, but I thought they were uh, sort of ferociously underrated. And um, and in fact, this is not the album they're they're remembered for, and that's Supergrass in it for the huh. money. Um, it's a really good like. You know, for Britpop, a much heavier guitar record, and I just love his, you know, his voice, their harmonies, um, and there's it's got no business being on a on a list of records that I still listen to to this day. But for whatever reason, it got under my skin, and it's probably not regarded that highly by most people. Um, but I think, you know, it's got in it for the money. Richard the Third, late in the day. 
um, Sun Meets the Sky. They're all just really good pop tunes. And um, I thought were those guys pretty druggy, or am I? I so I've tried. You know, I've I've listened to them before. I've tried to uh, on a couple of occasions because you've always recommended them, but I sort of never it never quite clicked for me. Uh, yeah. And I so were they like. This is in, well, in it for the money, you, you said, or this is the self-titled. This is in it for the money. Okay, actually. the first the one. First one. No, no, it's actually their second one. The first one was called "I I Should Coco," and that's the one that had "All Right," which was a ma- kind of you know oh, by yeah. Britpop standards was a big hit here. It was like the theme, main theme to Clueless, and um, it's a pretty great song. But they were sort of like. They almost sounded like the monkeys when they first came out. Uh, and yeah. it doesn't help that he weren't looks kind of like a The monkey. only thing I remember but about these guys is, aren't they, weren't they on Parlophone? Weirdly. Yeah, which was like why they were, they were such a poppy follow. Yeah, I thought that was, it sort of stuck out for um, that reason because I don't think there was a lot going on for that for that label. Well, if you think if you think a lot of, about the British, you know, the Britpop bands, they all came out on weird labels. I mean, Creation wasn't exactly yeah. a juggernaut. They're not, they weren't on majors. I mean, Oasis was... Was on creation. Um, I forget what the Verve was on. I think they were on, kind of on a major label, but um, yeah, they were. They were. It was sort of regional, and um, but these guys were. You know, I mean, they they would have almost crossed over to being considered a boy band at the time because they were cute and they were sort of. Uh, they were great magazine fodder for girls, um, but I really liked them. And um, there you go. What's your next one? All right, so the next one um, I would bring up, I think, is a real... This is probably the biggest sort of um, iconic, you know, canonical classic on my list, which is The Velvet Underground and Nico. And that, for me, is, like, I, you know, I remember I remember the very first time, like, exactly where I was the first time I ever put that in a CD player um, and the effect that it sort of had. You know, I remember thinking Sunday morning was such a weird, like, uh, sort of, you know, melodious... Um, and sort of soft pop tune. Um, and I wasn't, I like, I'd heard these guys were pretty cool and I wasn't sure if I'd signed up for the right thing. And I was like, (laughs) is this the right band? Um, and you know, and then it cuts into the second track and you're just like, holy shit. Um, so, I mean, it really was for me, such a defining record and, you know, literally track by track. I mean, hell, I even went back and read Venus and Furs as a result of that album. So, um, which is not, good uh so <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna jump on this one with you because yeah. i would i would put that um as sort of like you know what led zeppelin 2 did for you i mean i heard velvet underground and nico when i was probably 16 i was away at school and you know somebody cooler than me uh had the album and loved it and i remember hearing i remember exactly where i was the first time i heard it and i also remember like what an impact it had because in the same and this is a, a parallel conversation but uh, in the same way that I remember hearing Talking Heads 77 and then seeing the back of the record jacket and seeing that Chris Franz was had like short hair they all had short hair and Chris Franz was wearing a pink Oxford I was <laughs> like wow that looks like that looks like my family um, but you know, and it, the, I guess the parallel being that I had, I too had r- heard more about Velvet Underground than I had experienced, and so when I heard, uh, you know, Velvet Underground and Nico, and you know, realized how accessible and warm it is, and I mean, it, it warm and cold and and everything in between, but uh, just how accessible and simple it was, it was like it was, you know, I was waiting for a cacophony. I think I had actually read. Um, Lester Bang's uh, book before I even 
heard that album, so I was waiting for something akin oh, to Metal funny. Machine music. Yeah, and well, and so I mean, for the thing that I think is sort of so fascinating is that you know they aren't necessarily. I mean, Sterling Morrison, really, you know, good guitarist. Um, John Cale obviously is a is a phenomenal sort of composer. But I think you know what's always been interesting to me is like some of the the underlying sort of simplicity um, of of the actual sort of notes. It's really the arrangements that are so incredible i think and of course you know lyrically it's it's awesome um but uh but you know i think you give a lot of credit to kale for sort of piecing together these you know these small small bits of music that really do um weave together this sort of incredibly uh dark and unusual and sort of mysterious album um and of course what didn't they they played their first show ever and like it wasn't it summit high school (laughs) summit high school jeremy's alma mater yeah um, so. and, and I believe they opened with uh, with the Black Angels death song for a group of like really, fourteen year olds and their chaperoned parents. Really get some dancing. I know that. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was a, that's that is one of the the great gems of of reading. Please kill me is that I got I found out that they wrote they actually played their first show ever at, at Jeremy's high school. Yeah. So. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, that would 100% be on my list, except that I really don't find myself playing it start to finish like I used to when I was younger. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it can be a soundtrack for, for pretty much, pretty much. well, I would say every emotion. So um, in that mm-hmm. respect, I think it's, it's sort of perfect in that way. And there are times when, you know... Um, Particularly, I would I would just note the song "Heroin" is like perfect for you know I, I take these incredibly long trips for for work out to Asia and back and you know there's nothing quite like the um, you know but between consciousness and unconsciousness when you're when you've been flying for 35 hours mm-hmm. um, and uh, there's something about just the way that song sort of builds that just helps you you know muster up the strength to to get from the you know, get from the plane to the uh, to the taxi rank. So um, that's uh, so uh, we get our strength from heroin. Yeah, that's exactly. Um, yeah, it's funny. That speaking of you know one particular emotion, um, you know the next one on my list is it really holds. Uh, really, only uh, sort of generates one emotion for me, and that's hunger. Uh, and that's Moon Safari by Air. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, this, that was, uh, I thought about putting that on my list, too. That's funny. It's an inside joke, but we, um, uh, on a trip to France, the first time I ever uh, discovered, you know, discovered Moon Safari, um, we decided to play it for dinner the first night we were there. And lo, uh, what is this now? Uh, 21 years later. Um, it still gets played every party bef- ed- right before dinner. It's almost like a call to the table. So it's an inside joke, but it's also start to finish a phenomenal album. And um, it, it goes on. It, it takes on multiple uh, purposes in my life, but mostly it's it's the dinner party album. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think it's one of those things that's easy. Just you know, speaking of sort of the comfort food parameters that we laid out at the beginning, like it's something that really blends in. The fact that I don't speak French helps it blend in, um, because I can't possibly get distracted by lyrics that I can't understand. Um, so you know, I think that's sort of a, that's that's an important. Like it's not gonna it's not gonna cause me to to perk up too much, I guess. So um, and it really is just oh. an awesomely mellow, like beautifully laid out sort of. It's a, uh, track it's a listing. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. I won't waste a lot of time on it, but it's uh, 
if, if you're not familiar with it and you need something to play during dinner, I think it might be one of the greatest of all time. Plus, one of my favorite it's snare actually- breakdowns ever is in Kelly Watch the Stars when they have that all sort right. of winding synth part and then the uh, the snare drum starts back up. That's awesome. Anyway, it is. <clears throat> What's your next for you? All right. Um, next for me is uh, Give Up by the Postal Service. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, that is, I remember, so I remember the first time I actually heard that was, uh, I was in high school and then, um, shortly thereafter took a trip up to, uh, up to New York, um, with my mom actually. And we were, you know, I, I remember sort of wandering around, uh, wandering around Soho and going into all these different shops and, you know, whether it was clothing shops or whatever. And literally in every single one, this album was playing. And I, I'm sure you, I mean, you were living here at the time, so I'm sure you, uh, uh remember that too, but it's like, I couldn't get over how ubiquitous it was. And I think, you know, recognizing sort of the cool quality of New York and, and atta- like attaching that additional sort of affinity to it for that reason, um, because it wasn't, because it wasn't suburban Virginia, uh, probably helped, uh, helped. What, what year did that come out? 2001. It was it? Okay. Yeah, for whatever reason, it's a it's an album I always connect to Los Angeles. Um, and for whatever reason, I was out there. Um, I don't remember why. Two thousand three, excuse me. Two thousand three. It could have been for a board meeting or something, but um, it was before I got into entertainment business. But I was driving, um, and very nostalgically, uh, I lived in Los Angeles as a kid, as a young uh, kid, so six, seven, eight, and. Um, so I, uh, you know, I was driving around to old apartments and places where we used to get mostly bars. Um, but yeah, that, that album was on and it, it, it has a great, I, mean, I guess it's sort of uh, multi, uh, you know, has its multi-urban settings. It's, but it's for an, me, that's always an L.A. record. Yeah, I, I also like the reference. I actually liked the, the shout out, which I thought was a shout out to uh, The District Sleeps Alone Tonight, to, to D.C., of mm-hmm. course. But um, I also, you know, I think that was another one of these, um, another one of these records that sort of had a few, there were a few details built into the production there that kind of, uh, that, that kind of surprised me, I guess. And I didn't discover until much, much later. Uh, for instance, the fact that Jenny Lewis is singing backup vocals on, on so many right. of those tracks. Um, so I, I, you know, I think there's uh, it's a, it's a pretty exciting, it's, it's a great piece of nostalgia as well. It's also, I was never a death cab fan. Um, and they fall into a small category of bands that I, I just dismissed because of their name. Um, I just always hated the name, and so I just sort of didn't realize. It's not a good name. Were. No, and I, uh, I think, um, I think uh, such great heights was my was my gateway uh, drug into uh, Death Cab, uh, who and who I later found out were a tremendous uh, band and and you know particularly good lyricists. But um, I just you know it had. Then there's only a few. There's only a few that I, I you know, I hope I have. I hope I haven't missed too much based on my uh, name snobbery. Yeah, that's right. And I sort of, um, for some reason, I think that in the in there's there's if there if bands were forced to square off in combat, I, I always sort of think that the Decemberists or, or the you know would would take on Death Cab for Cutie for some reason. <laughs> um, they would have to, but I do you know I think Ben Gibbard's a much less obnoxious. English major type lyricist than Colin Malloy, so um, yeah. yeah, it definitely it definitely edges out there. So, but it's it's yeah, kind of cool to see him put to sort of electronic music, I guess. 
I find this, I mean, and we'll, we'll leave it, but I, uh, I find the Decembrists to be a sort of addendum to the Mary Poppins soundtrack. <laughs> um, Certainly they dress like it. <laughs> yeah, so my next one is, I think, one that will be universally on all three of our lists, but it's still, uh, um, I'm going to claim it for now, OK Computer. Um, it's one of those albums, uh, it's been dissected a gazillion times, but I can, I can throw it on anytime, anywhere. I can sleep to it. I can get a. I can get worked up by it. I can, you know, do all sorts of, you know, I can work out to it. I can sleep to it. I can listen to it uh, when I'm flying. I can listen to it when I'm, you know, driving and doing nothing. And it's just always welcome. Um, and I, I don't know what to say beyond that, except that I've never tired of that record. Me neither. Um, and I, I would say that my gateway into all of Radiohead actually came through the song No Surprises. So. Um, I have to, I have to really credit that album for, for intri- you know, And honestly, I could also say the Benz, just as well for, for. I mean, they're you know just as well for comfort yeah. food bec- and totally different records that I would almost put on it sort of in different moods, but um, but certainly get I would say equal share of playtime. Um, but you know, I think yeah, the OK Computer. It's just it's such an interesting record, right? I mean, it, it really does. Mm-hmm. It takes on. Um, it goes in so many different directions uh, from beginning to end that um, that I think part of it is you you continue to discover new and interesting aspects of it and angles to it each time. Yeah, it sort of uh, you know it sort of has that um, revolving piece where you know there's the songs that you didn't like so much at the beginning later become your favorites. Like electioneering um, was one of the. I mean that was like one of my. Yeah, that that sort of that was one of my favorites, and no surprises. And then, absolutely, Karma Police has come around as one of my favorites now. Yeah, which it took me a long okay. time to like. The Paranoid Android is, you know, I think yeah. the modern day Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, it just goes a lot of different places. So anyway, okay, computer, what's next on yours? Uh, mine, I will say, uh, meta modern sounds and country music. Um, these, no, it's pretty recent. It is pretty recent, um, and it was one that that I knew pretty much right away was gonna was gonna enter that you know special um, I think special circle of um, you know permanent um, permanent comfort food records. It really is like it's a it great great songwriting. Um, but I mean for for me it's also you know I did grow up listening to a lot of country and bluegrass through my mom who loves that stuff um so there's definitely uh uh something that i that i think i sort of veered away from a little bit um with my own musical interests for for a while and, and have you know since sort of rekindled that um uh that relationship i guess um but for somebody to combine the sort of badass qualities that i like in uh in punk and indie rock and you know basically make country punk rock um I think that that's a, that's a pretty fun thing to see. I mean, the last guy, not to necessarily um, oversell Sturgill at this stage in his career. I mean, I think he's got a got a really bright career ahead of him. But you know, the last time you see somebody do sort of um, pull those two things together, I think is you know people like Johnny Cash and uh, Merle and Willie. Yeah, exactly. It really it's the outlaw country tradition, and I, I don't think that we've seen. Um, you know, I don't think that we've seen somebody do it this well, uh, sort of in my lifetime. We, we sort of haven't seen anybody do it this straightforwardly. I mean, there's, you know, there's 
um, people like Steve Earle um, that always seem to fall into the sort of alt country more than straight up country. Yeah, the song Guitar Town sucks. I love it. Um, (laughs) We can argue about uh, that for an hour, man. I I can't stand it. But, you know, I think with, uh, you know, he's taking the standard country sound and really turn it on its ear, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, he, he really does back it up too. I guess the, and this isn't like this, this isn't the reason this is comfort food. I don't sit down and think, wow, he's really taking on the, the politics of like the industry in Nashville. Um, I mean, no. I, I sit down and like it because it is great traditional country licks. Um, and, oh, and he just has such a warm, inviting, awesome voice. Um, I mean, that really is the, the part, I think, that sort of makes you feel so comfortable. So, And he rips it up live. Oh, he can belt it. Yeah, it's awesome. So um, I guess my next one is, um, I'm going slightly out of chronolo- chronological order, but uh, Summer Teeth by um, Wilco. Hmm. Um, another one of those ones, I think we'll have a, uh, a pod at some point later on where, um, you know, Jared and I have discussed this plenty, uh, the bands in your, that you love, um, where the consensus is that, uh, they had one, you know, that X was their great album when in fact, I believe Y is the one I like better. Um, you know, anybody will tell you Yankee Hotel Foxtrot or even being there, uh, were better than Summer Teeth. Summer Teeth is sort of the, you know, the pop uh, happy middle of those two um, albums, but I, I, you know, if if there's an album I love listening to start to finish, and I think two because, you know, it has a uh, it's a it's an interestingly sequenced record. Um, it starts off with some big banger hits, uh, which I thought they think I think they thought would be big banger hits, and then the second late on the second half of the album, you get the sort of seeds of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot with songs like, um, you know, Candy Floss and, and um, the song Summer Teeth, um, where you get a little more experimentation with the instrumentation. And so, you know, it's a very, very accessible, very clean, poppy, Brian Wilson-worshipping um, Wilco album. Took them out of the sort of... It, it really sort of took them out of their country rock... Um, uh, it, took, it, it sort of distinct, distinguished them from their country rock brethren, and um, I think uh, you know a shot in the arm is a shot in the arm is definitely my favorite Wilco song. So it's not. Um, I think for that reason alone, I, I get it. You know, it's a, it's also a very personal record for them, right? For for him, I guess all I, I guess all so, of yeah. them are. Yeah, I know, yeah. He's not, <laughs> he's not uh, somebody too far. Off yeah, it's it's not that uh, not exactly obscure. And then um, yeah, another one that I'm going to throw in is, uh, and this is one of probably my favorite album in the world to fly to, uh, which is Ladies yes. and Gentlemen, We Are Floating in Space by Spiritualized. I just, um, there are certain things I wouldn't do while operating this album, <laughs> uh, like uh, heavy machinery, uh, anything having to do with cutting uh, food or, but, or, you know. That's because it pairs so nicely with a vodka soda and Xanax. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is. I mean, it was written for that, I believe. I yeah. Think, I think it is the oral equivalent of a vodka soda and a Xanax. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, I mean, uh, and I'll say it again, the, uh, I saw the Radio City show where he had, oh, yeah. I think it was something like a 45-piece band and gospel choir, and that just cemented this and you know 
I had to listen to it a lot when it came out. I loved it when it came out. Um, and um, by the time, you know, that concert rolled around, I was, you know, I, I still love spiritualized, but I wasn't, you know, sort of banging down the door to get in. And that thing just blew my doors off. And I've had it on heavy rotation ever since. Yeah, I can I can totally see that. It's definitely got a sound that lends it to it, that lends itself to to big orchestration. Um, I'm I'm thinking, you know, one of the biggest baddest shows like that I saw that that had you know full strings backing it up was actually a 9:30 show of the uh, of Sigur Ross, um, oh, which like was just I mean it just it's such a full sound uh, when they when they get into that that level so that's awesome. Uh, did, well, actually, and I have a I have a little uh, aside, a little story that I think is kind of funny and and um, probably very little known. But um, I had friends that were on the Volkswagen account uh, years ago, and when they went to launch the Volkswagen Bug, which I think was probably '96, um, they the Beetle. The Beetle, yeah, the Bug, the Beetle, whatever it's called now. Um, and But the new version of it, um, I think it was 96, and uh, they had this whole campaign, and they were looking for the song that was going to really um, launch the commercials. And the commercials were really well-regarded and, and very well-received. But um, they first approached David Byrne uh, for Once in a Lifetime, and um, that he, um, he said no. And they said, how much? And he said no. How much? And they said no. What part of fuck off? Don't you understand? Because yeah. <laughs> and then he said how much? And he goes ten million dollars. They were like, okay, no. Um, <laughs> second band they approached was a band that hadn't released their album yet, and or had barely released. They had barely gotten any play. Again, this is you know a year and plus in advance of of uh, you know when things you know, were making um, major headway, but. Uh, band barely heard in America. They approached uh, Oasis to try and get rock and roll star and they offered him a million dollars and they said, fuck off, we're going to be huger than that. (laughs) (laughs) So they went with Ladies and Gentlemen We Are Floating in Space by uh, Spiritualized. That's awesome. Which to me... Yeah. Funny little aside. Did not not realize that Oasis had that that level of complete unbridled arrogance that early in their career. That's good to know. Oh, yeah. Check out actually check out the documentary. It's pretty good. I watched it the other day. Um, yeah, I'm excited about that. So, I, uh, an even lesser known um, anecdote, I guess, about about this would be the fact that my first introduction musically to the VW Beetle was through Mandy Moore's music video for Candy, um, which uh, features her driving around in a in a you lime green. Her. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, that was her first big hit single. So, uh, and that was that was like my prime TRL watching days. Um, uh, sort of just post "Hit Me, Baby, One More Time." Great song. Yep. Um, so, and next for you is. Um, so next for me, you know, I, I'll well, I'll go to I'll go to uh, "We're on Drugs" here, "Lost in the Dream," um, and that I think is just like such a great piece of like such an awesome piece of Americana, um, and you know, it, it has like a little bit of a Dire Straits quality to uh, to the vocals, but I mean, it's got that sort of like am rock uh you know sort of 
fuzzed out sound a little bit. I mean, it's it's a really it's an awesome record top to bottom, and another one of these that I find really easy to throw on and not realize that I'm halfway through it the second time through. Um, so uh, it's a it's a definite. I think it's a real crowd pleaser. Sort of blends into the background. Um, which can can be used, I think, derisively to describe records, but I don't mean it that way at all here. Um, I, no. I think it really does. It's just a mood setter. No, I love that. I love that album. Uh, I think it's phenomenal. There's there's you know a couple songs that have propulsion. There's a couple songs that kind of let you float around much in the same way as you know a spiritualized tune does. Or Moon Safari, of, any of these. I mean, I think you know part yeah. of it's part of we always talk about pacing when it comes to records, and this is a really great example of like just a band that understands you know when to when to speed it up, when to slow it down, and sort of how to how to play with their audience in that respect. Um, so that's a really important important quality, I guess. No, it's a really confident album too. It's really yeah. comfortable in its own sound, and and uh, I think they built towards that. Um, uh, I really like the album before that too, but I think this one is just they, this one came out and they were just like, yeah, they they knew they nailed it. You know? Yeah. Um, and their live shows too have been really good that way. I know I, there's a couple. I, I think you know the the parallels between them and sort of built to spill are easy to make too and i find built to spill a band that i'll go back to uh the plan is a, is another one that didn't make the list but should yep i definitely uh or keep it like a secret i mean keep Sorry. it like a secret yeah the... yeah but um so my uh i'm gonna go my last two um are and then i'm gonna shut up and listen to um, but the one that I probably play the most and is definitely the um, the album I put on when I am writing um, some form of long form uh, uh, scripts or whatever, uh, and that's uh, I Can Hear the Heart Beating is one by Yola Tango, uh, again, start to finish. I, I think it's part and parcel with the fact that I just know every, um, you know, every you know squeak of a finger on a fretboard on that album um it's 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 strange uh, in comparison to a lot of the other stuff that i have on here because it's a really inconsistently um a really sort of rangy uh sequenced album there's uh, pop ditties there's stuff that sounds like it's from the 50s yeah. there's full on like experimental 10 minute instrumentals with feedback um, so it doesn't you know it doesn't seem like the kind of album that would uh, allow you to concentrate that well um, but for whatever reason it, it just sort of buttresses whatever my brain chemistry is and allows me to to pound it out without really you know remembering again I, I go back to your thick freakness comment about having it go one and a half times before I've realized that it's gone through once. Um, yep. And I, so that's, that's the album for me. It's interesting. I mean, one of the things that I, that's always been, well, aside from the fact that they've just got a lot of records, that's, that's made it tough for me to really pin down. Crack them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that's, we, we were thinking of talking about this in its own sort of, um, its own discussion really is, you know, the idea that like bands that are really prolific can, can in some respects do themselves a disservice in posterity be exclusive yeah because it's sort of where do i start and I, you know another one i feel like that is guided by voices you know it's like you have 20 albums out there like you know what where, where do you know where should i start so having having somebody to, to, yeah you need somebody to edit for bright, you or bright eyes ryan adams i feel like someone needs to go in and, and pull out the good stuff for me yeah so i can but but in in the case of Yola Tango, I, you know, I'm consistently a fan. Um, 
and have been around long. Uh, you know, they've been around a lot, a long time. Absolutely. Um, and it almost so, feels you know, like, like the the music purpose built. I mean, Eric Kaplan. So his you know his background as a rock critic himself has always made me slightly suspicious of the fact that it's rock critic a rock critic rating for you know critics in some ways um, rather mm-hmm. than for you know the general public. Or uh, I, I'm not saying that it's not not also appealing to to people broadly. Just like it seems you know he he knows what the formula is if there is one. Um, so it's I love that you know he's always loved by the sort of music nerds and loved by you know the the critics themselves so but i think there's merit you know obviously i think there's merit there there's you know obviously he's uh it's a one of us situation but he is uh you know they have duly distinguished themselves in that uh to a point where i i question not the amount of uh praise they get um are, do you have another one left? Or I do. I have one more. Um, and this is uh, Turn on the Bright Lights, which I think for me yeah. is really the, um, you know, I can tap out every single, every single, you know, drum hit in that album. Um, like, uh, you know, every, every beat, um, every bass note, uh, to the point that I think... You know, if I heard somebody cover it, um, I would I would literally, you know, I would call them out if they played a note wrong, um, or if they didn't, no, or if they didn't bend it halfway properly. You mean like when we saw Interpol last year? Yeah, yeah, actually, that's a pretty good example. <laughs> Those guys were uh, we were like, wow, that was really off. And I was like, that's not how you play that song. <laughs> I was like, I, these guys should know they wrote it, uh, you know. And and we were sort of looking on stage. This was the House of Blues, right? That was it. Yep. Yeah, and uh, we're looking at this and thinking, man, do they have somebody pinch hitting in a guitar? Nope, nope. All right, well, um, yeah, no, it was. Uh, but that's all right. I, you know, you they they cranked out absolute pure gold for me. Um, we and, we forgive. Yeah, exactly. Um, off night. Oh, definitely. Uh, and in this case, you know, I just I think it's it's so. I mean, every word is just so deeply ingrained in my mind at this point that it's sort of it's sort of constantly playing in the background in my head. Uh, whether whether it's actually on or not, so yeah. Well, my last one is is if you know me is highly predictable. It's the Meadowlands by the Wrens, and um, it is uh, an album that since I got it in two thousand four, I haven't stopped playing it. Um, it is incredibly dense uh, sonically. It's incredibly well written lyrically. It touches a lot of um, as I was saying uh, earlier, when uh, when I asked for Craig Finn to write a uh, an album about people in their forties, um, yeah, these guys the did Rens that. Did, the Wrens <laughs> did it. Um, you know, it's a song about life. Um, if that's what being in your forties yeah, is like, by the way, I'm in. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, and it, I mean, the ironic thing is, I actually interviewed um, uh, Charles Bissell for Pace about ten years ago. Um, and he was, uh, he was working on their new album. Uh, I was working in my former career. Um, it was the week that I had gotten my first sort of major accolade or, uh, uh, as a, as a screenwriter. First break. And yeah, when nobody knew it, um, he was the, probably the first person I told, or he might not have even, I might not have even told him. Um, but, you know, we had a really good long conversation. 
I was anxiously anticipating his new record, which I assumed would come out in 2005, 2006. Here we are in 2016. You are, and it's, you are anxiously awaiting his new record. <laughs> anxiously awaiting. And actually, I think, you know, if, uh, if he's up for it, I'd love to have him on the pod, but I also would love to uh, interview him 10 years late, ten years after an interview where we're both about to do something that we never did. Um, yeah. So it would be uh, really cool and a, a really cool guy. Uh, but a great band, and it's I, there's there are signs pointing toward. Um, I hope he's feeling better. I know he was convalescing. Yeah. So, um, and I hope that, uh, but I hope they do come out with new music soon. Uh, there's been hints toward it, and it still sounds really good. And these guys are, um, that's remarkable. And if, uh, if I can just say, you know, add add one sort of comment to that, I, I because I, look, it's also it's also on my list, and and um, I sort of. I think I held back because I knew it would be on yours, and you introduced me to it, and therefore you had you had the right to um, to, to put it on your comfort foods list. Uh, but I think mm-hmm. I think it's true for all three of us, Jeremy, you, Wyndham, and and, uh, and me. Um, but I think one of the things that, that really like strikes a chord, and this would be true for a lot of guys who listen to this type of music, and and um, you know, is it really like the this boy is exhausted, for instance, which is which is truly a song about like just having this incredible outlet and release of loving music as much as they do. Um, and it's, you know, it's very personal, but it's also, um, it also, you know, it can apply to anybody and, and, you know, I've got the the day job, but then there's the, then there's, you know, this incredible sort of passion for music, uh, uh, that's sort of been continuous throughout. And I think, you know, that's something that they really tap into, um, incredibly well, but it's not just writing about it. It's the fact that they're living it too. I mean, these are guys who've always had careers, um, and, you know, and done this on the side. So it is a remarkable album. I'm sure most people, uh, know it, but I, I, I'm, I have a hard time, um, sort of, slotting the wrens and as far as who you know how popular they are or how well known they are um i feel like to know them is to love them or to know their catalog is to love them certainly um and anyway that's uh that's that is uh this um portion of comfort food so uh the other portion uh with jeremy yep uh, you'll be back with jeremy uh just just in a, in a few minutes um and uh and i guess yeah thanks for uh, thanks for having me on it was great to talk about this i'm gonna go listen yeah, to some of these good. right now me too i'll talk to you later. later that's it for today's episode of the brother 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 podcast thanks for listening don't forget to rate and review us on itunes follow us on facebook and twitter and drop us a line at brotherpod.com thanks very much to damien kendall for producing and from wyndham jeremy and christian See you next time.